0: Hello, Quarantiners. Hi, Myth Wendy. Hello, Josephine. Uh, Hello. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Art Time of the Month. Um, We're presenting a very special after-school special for you today. Um, we are bringing you a special quarantine episode uh, highlighting Black lives and Black art. So we are and have been really inspired by the protests that have been happening in our world. And we have, of course, been listening and honoring those voices. And so today we wanted to take some time and elevate Melanated Voices and talk about Black art and Black artists and Black authors and Black filmmakers and Black playwrights and um, just Black artists at every level and just kind of create some space for that. And, uh, you know, of course, in traditional Wendy Jo fashion, we'll give you some lists.
1: <laughs> we'll, give you, we'll give you all the lists today. We'll give you
0: some lists. We'll give you some things to look out for, some important work to be looking at, and then also some fun stuff because, you know, we also want to focus on Black joy and Black excellence and Black celebration. So, um so, yeah, I mean, I think we should start by saying that neither of us identify as black. Um, mm-hmm. I am a white woman. I teach in... Um in diverse populations, so um, I feel like this is a really important conversation and important work for me to be doing and diving into. And Joe, how do you identify?
1: Uh, I am a Pacific Islander person. Um, I'm from Guam, and you know, growing up, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but growing up, you know, I knew I can count on one hand the amount of Black people that I knew um, yeah. that I that I met, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until moving to California and Going to a very, um, a very very diverse school that I realized um, that I started to um, started to start my education uh, of you know the Black experience quote unquote in America, mm. and I had a very and all of that kind of started from my theater teacher in yeah. high school and his commitment to giving us um, us being you know are the students giving us um artists that looked like us. So, mm-hmm. you know, reading reading black playwrights and reading um Asian playwrights and, you know, no Pacific Islander playwrights that I know of yet, so we'll mm-hmm. see, but but yeah, so that's how I that's a long way to say that's how I identify. So, but long neither long. of us are are black.
0: Yeah. So I feel like both of us feel a responsibility to to use this platform that we have to our sevens or tens or elevens of listeners.
1: Our twenties. <laughs> I
0: mean, the number is, is debatable, but uh, <laughs> we want to use this platform and hopefully uh, share it with other white people or non-Black identifying people who need resources, who need help doing the work and who can um, find ways to dismantle their own systemic racism and unlearn their own patterns of, mm-hmm. um, of you know, inherent racism that, you know, we are all born into and, mm-hmm. you know, and learning to now identify and learning to unlearn. So with that, we are going to talk a little bit about what's happening right now in the industry before we get into kind of some lists for you. So this, we're in an interesting really. Uh, time right now. And we're at this intersection of pandemic and Black Lives Matter. And, um, and that is affecting every single industry across the board, whether you are in finance or healthcare or entertainment, whatever it may be, every industry is being touched by this moment right now, this like intersecting moment that we have to pay attention to. And so of course the industries that we roll in, you know, all of the entertainment industries, be that television and film, be that theater, um, all of it is suffering right now. Um, not only because we are out of work, but also because we've been given this really important platform and this time to identify the systemic racism in the industry. Um, so really important, uh, piece of information had come out. Um, uh, a really beautiful letter was written uh, called Dear White American Theater. Um, you know, and this kind of sparked this Broadway so racist conversation and ways that we can dismantle racism in the Broadway theater, you know, even down to it being called the great white way, you know, and Whoopi Goldberg now proposing, we call it the great bright way. Um, just because, It has always been framed in white storytelling. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to stop using Black bodies as props in the American theater and really honoring the Black experience in the American theater. So um, this uh, was going around online and we'll, of course, post it on our Instagram, but it was an open letter. And I won't read the whole thing because it's quite lengthy, but we encourage you to do so and to get involved. Uh, It's Dear White American Theater, We come together um, as a community of black, indigenous and people of color, BIPOC theater makers in the legacy of August Wilson's The Ground On Which I Stand to let you know exactly what ground we stand on in the wake of our nation's civic unrest. We see you. We have always seen you. We have watched you pretend not to see us. We have watched you unchallenge your white privilege, inviting us to traffic in the very racism and patriarchy that festers in our bodies while we protest against it on your stages. We see you. And then it goes on to say like, just incredibly amazing, amazing points. Um, And this open letter ends with, we have always seen you and now you will see us. Uh, We stand on this ground as BIPOC theater makers, multi-generational at varied stages of our careers, but fiercely in love with the theater too much to continue it under abuse. We will wrap the least privileged among us in protection and fearlessly share our many truths about theaters, executive leaders, critics, casting directors, agents, unions, commercial producers, universities and training programs. You are all a part of this house of cards built on white fragility and supremacy. And this is a house that will not stand. This ends today. We are about to introduce you to yourself. Signed, The Ground We Stand On. Uh, And this opened up tons of conversations. So black theater makers on all social media platforms started telling their stories about ways that they were treated at first and then later on, and then uh, ways that they were treated in casting rooms and ways that they've been treated in processes and, uh, mm-hmm. and people really speaking their truths. And it has been a really liberating and eye opening thing to see as a white theater maker to realize how I have contributed to that oppression.
1: Mm-hmm i i think it's um griffin matthews who is known for being on the tv show dear white people um his instagram video of recounting his experience trying to get the musical that he wrote made and and i think it's the one thing that he says where it's like uh the tony award which is the pinnacle of um, which is the pinnacle of like theater achievement can be achieved without any black people, like mm-hmm. not a black person needs to n- not a black person needs to be involved at all in order for you to achieve the highest award in, um, in theater. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's been sticking with me this entire time, specifically because like, yes, that's completely true. That is 100%. It's yeah. yeah.
0: And I mean, even in years past when Oscars So White was trending, you know, mm-hmm. in all facets of the entertainment industry, it has been white people in systems of power, white peoples in in positions of power. Right. And that exerting all of the way that academies vote and industries vote and Tony mm-hmm. voters and Emmy voters and all of it. Um, so you know, a lot of, uh, unions and artists have been rising up and, and forming, um, means of resistance. And one of the things that came out of this conversation was Black Theater United, um, which is an organization that, uh, I just want to read a little bit about if you'll give me a moment. Um, Black Theater United is, um, Uh, a cohort of Black theater makers who have banded together to create this organization and this is their statement. This call to action is just the beginning. It was the latest manifestations of police brutality that galvanized Black theater united into being. With roots reaching into all 50 of the United States, this coalition can harness invaluable political scope and influence. To elevate a cause or to overturn policies that target Black people in any one state or community, the group will draw on members with local connections to use their visibility and influence for good in theater and on the national stage. Passionate and committed, this gr- this founding group of actors, directors, musicians, writers, technicians, producers, and stage management includes Lisa Dawn Cave, Darius DeHaz, Brandon Victor Dixon, Uh, Corinne Ford, Kapathia Jenkins, Lashans, Kenny Leon, Norm Lewis, Audra McDonald, Michael McElroy, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Wendell Pierce, uh, Billy Porter, Felicia Rashad, Allison Tucker, Tamara Tooney, Lilius White, Natasha Yvette Williams, Shell Williams, and Vanessa Williams. So that's like a pretty powerful cohort. They're having, um, a, um, A virtual town hall, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. uh, next Mm -hmm. week, um, which I'm not sure when we're releasing this, but (laughs) they're having a virtual town hall on July 9th. So I encourage you, you can, if you're an ally, if you are a Black theater maker, you can go to blacktheaterunited.com and register as a Black theater maker or as an ally of Black theater makers and Mm -hmm. be a part of the conversation there.
1: Awesome.
0: Yeah. And what so speaking
1: of, uh, well, so speaking of black, uh, black theater, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Antonio awards.
0: <laughs> so um, the Tony awards just didn't happen mm-hmm. this year. Just period. Yeah, just the, not at all. Just nothing. It's
1: going to pretend like it wasn't there. Right. <laughs> we're like, just going
0: to pretend that like white theater went away <laughs> yeah. like, and good. Maybe it had to for a year. So we'll see what happens. Uh,
1: so the Antonio awards, um, we're basically going to be an award show for, um, highlighting excellence in black artists in theater. Um, it was supposed to be the inaugural, uh, celebration was going to be this year. It happened on Juneteenth. So Friday, June the 19th. Um, it was, uh, created by Drew Shade and Darius Barnes, who were both in productions on Broadway before the shutdown due to COVID, mm-hmm. um, and they wanted to, you know, highlight. And but the thing about it is, is that um, in looking at the different nominees and the different productions that were nominated, um, they really, they really um, went to all different facets of like theatrical performance. So not just yeah. on Broadway, but then also off, off Broadway, Broadway mm-hmm. um, which is often
0: overlooked. And that's where so mm-hmm. much. Beautiful and important storytelling happens.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Best actor in a playoff Broadway, Danielle Brooks, and Much Ado About Nothing. Goddamn right,
0: goddamn right. Mainly because also she she was playing a part traditionally played by Mm
1: -hmm. a
0: young, beautifully traditional, thin, gorgeous-looking white woman, and Danielle Brooks is. Not that, (laughs) Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. she's such a powerful storyteller, you know, and she, of course, is famous from Orange is the New Black, but she is also such a gifted storyteller and she is a full-figured, powerful black woman. And she chose to do that production over um, a movie or something like that because the importance of her as a black woman taking a role like that in much Mm -hmm. ado about nothing in a Shakespeare play was more Mm -hmm. important to her than the bigger paycheck there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we also, I mean, one thing that we got to love too is with the Antonio awards is that um, they, they just had the best actor category, Mm -hmm. but the actor is this genderless term. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you have um here best featured actor in a play on broadway you had uh david allen greer um next to shalia latour um you have uh best off broadway is uh, jasmine cephas jones featured next to john andrew morrison you know we had Mm -hmm. it's giving us a glimpse at what it could be like to have equality on all levels right to have Inclusion and equality on all levels, Mm -hmm. um, true inclusion, um, in that way. So definitely want to shout out to them. There was a lot of fun stuff on Instagram and a lot of like the kind of like theater Instagram community was um, really celebrating on Juneteenth. And that was, that was part of like my own personal like observance of Juneteenth was watching yeah. the, was watching just the, everything that was coming out from the Antonio yeah. awards.
0: And another really important thing about the Antonio awards is that it was not just honoring acting categories. I mean, they honored Every facet of the industry that mm-hmm. is being employed, that is employing BIPOC theater artists, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: employing like choreography, lighting design, scenic design, sound costumes, hair and wig design, orchestrations. Um, and then there was an award for best quarantine content. So, yeah. I mean, there's, they they were real thorough in, you know, elevating (laughs) their platform, but they were also like, Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for us to lift up black people and for us to like really honor black theater artists. And they did just that. And I'm, I'm really excited to see, I feel like the Antonio Awards is going to become bigger and brighter every single year from here on out. I'm really excited to see what that becomes when we are not in quarantine, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Like that'll be really, really great. Um, also a lot of things, you know, were happening in terms of, um, there's been a lot of like very dated names now in the industry. I mean, we're seeing it right now too, with the Washington, uh, football team as well that has a oh, real yes. racist mascot name. The
1: racist name team. team yes. name.
0: Yeah. So they're in conversations right now to change their team name, um, which I'm sure is going to piss off a whole ton of white people who believe in sports luckily that's not us
1: but that's not us
0: <laughs> that's not a part of our brand but we um, <laughs> sports is famously not a part of my brand unless it's a mm-hmm. sport but um but in lieu of that um we've seen some artists in the entertainment industry changing their names to add to the conversation
1: and so what that means folks is that you have um, groups specifically. So, again, like country music, right? So, country music is something that is um,
0: problematic.
1: Problematic in many ways. Um, however, like, you know, something that Beyonce did teach us in Lemonade is that black people do listen to country music. They uh, do. Okay. So- I mean, you know, give me a Darius Rucker. Give me, you know,
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> give me a
1: little. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so what that means, though, is that, like, you know, we have a um, group formerly known as Lady Antebellum has now changed their name officially to Lady A um, mm-hmm. as a way to kind of, you know, at taking in the conversation regarding, like, l- the Antebellum South and mm-hmm. what that meant, which basically, you know, the historic, uh, the accurate and historic reason for, you know, the secession from the union was because they wanted to continue to enslave people. Um, and then you also have the same thing happening with my girls, uh, the Dixie chicks, no longer Dixie, now just the chicks. Um, a couple, I mean, is it, is, is this very good? Yes. Um, did that mean that they could have just not had their names that way from the beginning? Probably. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, changes—you know, name changes and things like that—are great signs of solidarity, and they need to be backed up with like actual uh, action and work, right? steps, so, exactly, yeah. actionable steps.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. They they released a statement saying that they really wanted to meet the moment right now mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this name change, and I thought that that was that was a a really um, honest way of acknowledging that they were behind yeah. the moment, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and so what you want to do now is into that. Yeah. And what you want to do now is you want to go to uh, the chicks, check out their new single March, March, yes. which is um, very beautiful. And it is like, Ooh, it is a quiet storm, everybody, but yeah. it is definitely in that kind of like, you know, in that vein, and again, like the the chicks have been on the outs with country music since oh, speaking yeah. truth about <laughs> George Bush. So I mean, oh, yeah. they've
0: always been they were just like of country, yeah. So
1: exactly, so it's like you know what else is going to piss like, everybody off? You know
0: what else? We have zero fucks to give, and we don't care if you don't like us anymore. Here's what we're exactly. doing because it's the right thing to do. So exactly. there, yeah. So big ups to the chicks. We're happy for you. Um, also in actionable spe- steps that we're talking about. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk of, in voiceover artistry that's happening right now. So um, there has been a lot of white actors who had been voicing characters of color in animated series. Um, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Like we've
0: seen it on The Simpsons. We've seen it. Um, and I'm not super familiar with animated series, but I know Kristen Bell was... Uh, a part of it where she was voicing a biracial character, and um,
1: Jenny Jenny Slate on Jenny Slate, Big Mouth, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And then, which I
1: always thought was really awful because I do love the big I do love yeah. big mouth as a show and I was like I didn't know that Jenny Slate was the voice of it until much later yeah and so yeah and
0: so finding that out like these white actors are now stepping down from that and saying no it's not right that I'm doing this I'm happily giving this up um, in in signs of allyship and and uh, solidarity so cool give up a job you don't need that paycheck give it to someone who who can benefit from that paycheck with their authentic voice. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's really the important little nugget here is like, how are we honestly and truthfully telling these stories of color? You know, like they have to be told by people of color. So, Mm -hmm. um, honorable, like action steps. And we're seeing baby steps along the way, like in all of these industries. Right. Um, so we want to kind of talk a little bit about, All of the things, all of the facets of the art evaluations that you and I do, um, including, you know, TV, film, podcasts, books, like all of the things, Instagram accounts you should follow, uh, all of that. So we're going to start right now by giving you our you should read this or you should see this first and then our like just for funsies because it's joyful and lovely uh faves so where where do we want to start in what genre do you want to start Do you want to start with books films tv what
1: um let's let's ease people into it and let's start with tv
0: solid all right so you tell us first what is your like essential viewing what are the things that you feel that people who don't know what they should be watching you know, a lot of this conversation mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of what I'm hearing from white colleagues, from mm-hmm. family members uh, who are just like, but I there's so much content right now that's coming to the surface. And they're like, where do we start? Right. So mm-hmm. what are the things that you feel people should start with, that they should be watching, that they should be learning from?
1: Start. Yeah, there. so. So TV is a very, TV is a very interesting one, right? Because it's like, if it wasn't made within the past 20 years, yeah. um, excluding some very specific examples, like it good times, is... the
0: Jefferson's all that. And yeah.
1: So like, it's, it's difficult when you're talking about things that like address this, address race and address the black experience specifically. So, um, I have two recommendations for like, this is must, you must listen to this. Um, First one is I've already talked about on the show is hashtag Black AF um, Kenya Barris show that's, on, um, Netflix. that's the, uh, on Netflix. It's the mockumentary with him starring Rashida Jones. But the one reason why I enjoy it is because it really does like it the way when it just like in Blackish it has those little deep dives that like spout a lot of truth Mm -hmm. and make you think, huh. And again, like make you think that, but it also illustrates the idea that like black people are not a monolith. Mm. And I feel like that's important as well. Like you can be, you can be wealthy and (laughs) you can be wealthy and supporting Juneteenth while at the same time also acting out your, like, uh, also still negotiating where it is that you come from and all of that. So Mm -hmm. And then that's what I think the show did. Um, the show did the best for me. And I think that that's important for people to realize too, is that like people, everyone contains multitudes and um, it's a way to, you know, it's a way for you to keep that in the forefront. Definitely. The second one that I want people to watch uh, is Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on my specific list. Um and it's currently free everywhere hBO made this free um, mm-hmm. the first season free it's nine episodes um it stars regina king um uh, am i am i saying the wrong name no no okay <laughs> I'm no, sorry. Regina I'm- King,
0: Oscar winner,
1: yeah. Okay, yes, I'm thinking about the other Regina, uh, Regina King. Hall. <laughs> no, Regina sorry. King,
0: Regina King, Oscar winner, she's on it, yeah. Okay,
1: thank you. um, It stars Regina King, and it also has this, it opens up with, the first scene is a scene that specifically addresses, like, Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Massacre. Mm-hmm. So you're, and a lot of people, like, Black people knew but a lot of people didn't know That
0: is a giant piece of history that white people are not taught and that is just Mm -hmm. now kind of coming into mainstream um, education. But Black Wall Street was not uh, something that white people were taught in schools. Um, I know like a podcast, like My Favorite Murder did um, Mm -hmm. a whole episode on the Tulsa massacre, Black Wall Street. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it very famously started with An elevator encounter, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, where there was a white woman in an elevator with a black man, Mm -hmm. teenager, man,
1: and he—I believe a teenager, yeah—and then it's there's very similar. It's very similar to Emmett Till, so
0: yeah, very, very similar. And you know, um, and he tripped in the elevator or somehow touched her or something, and and all of Tulsa burned down as a result of it.
1: Yeah, basically. Um, so, but I'm what this does I'm, of course, glossing is-
0: over, like, so much history there, but please do some reading into, into yes. that event. Please
1: yeah. read about it, but, like, what what and this is not a documentary watchmen is not a documentary no. about that it's very not much not. rooted in like fantasy and the the superhero graphic novel uh watchmen but um it's very important um from everything that i've read about and the reason why it's like on my list of like to legit dedicate time to it is because of how groundbreaking it is and um poignant so mm-hmm. those are my two um you must watch these the it is immediate that you watch them
0: you must watch got it yeah. cool thank you for that um and and this is actually good that you and I are doing this because we're both kind of coming from two different perspectives. I have a good ten years on Josephine, so mm. like my perspective on uh, she like, is
1: seasoned. I,
0: I'm a seasoned queen, but you know, yeah. like the the television film references that I grew up with are a little more dated than yours. Um, and also, you have a sci fi perspective that I just.
1: Do yeah i have, have. A, i have a total like genre film uh, thing yeah exactly
0: <laughs> so um for me in terms of television i'm gonna take you back to like our parents and if you need something like couched in like safe viewing for white people and they want <laughs> to understand the story and they want to understand uh alex haley's beautiful work have them watch roots um Roots was very famously a miniseries in the seventies. That was, uh, it broke all kinds of television records. Uh, and it's the story of Kunta Kinte and how he was stolen from Africa and then his entire family line to present day, uh, freedom. And so. And we're it, talking
1: about original Roots, right? The well, 70s I'm going to
0: talk about both. Versions oh, okay, okay. Of it. So it was presented in the seventies as a miniseries. Um, and with royalty, like black Hollywood royalty, all, uh, everybody was in it from Ben Vereen to I, I, everyone, everyone was LeVar in Burton it. LeVar Kente. Burton playing Exactly. Um, just to Cecily Tyson, like everyone mm-hmm. was in this, right? Um, a few years back, Roots was remade as a miniseries on, I believe the history channel, the history channel updated it, rebooted it. And they did so in a way that was just like, I think visually they had the technology and the filmmaking techniques now that they did not have in the seventies. So mm-hmm. it's much prettier to look at, uh, but still, ta- same, still, I'm sorry, tells the very same story um, and n- not much has changed from the script Um but it's it's a powerful mini series, and at times it's corny, and it's written again, like I said, to you know make white people feel comfortable with this story. A lot of that is, but so much of exploring this work is couched in this idea of like, how do we make this palatable for white people? Um, so I challenge you to kind of like start there and question why you need to feel comfortable in that work and why mm-hmm. you need to see that, you know. Um, but because of its place in television history, I feel like we needed to mention it there. <laughs> um, the other thing that I encourage you to see, and I put this under television, although it was cinematically very much like a movie. Uh, it was on Netflix and it was released as a series by Eva DuVernay. It was When They See Us. And When They See Us is the story of the Central Park Five, who we now refer to as the exonerated five. Um, but again, I, growing up in New York in the 80s and 90s, this happened in the very early 90s, um, five black boys or black and brown boys were accused of rape, uh, of raping one white woman jogger in Central Park. Mm-hmm. And they were put away for it and they were tried as adults. And Donald Trump famously took out a full page ad in the Times calling for the death penalty for these five boys, um, calling for an
1: execution. He
0: was calling for an execution on children who had not been, you know, found or proven guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, and it came out years and years later that, uh, when another criminal confessed to the crime and there was DNA evidence linking someone else to this rape, um, that, These five were exonerated, um, but also having, you know, been so damaged by a system that works against them. So When They See Us is just a really very difficult series to watch. It is painfully difficult to watch, um, but it is Mm -hmm. beautifully told and it is... Uh, Ava DuVernay worked very closely with the Exonerated Five on set every single day, uh, and they had a direct hand in the telling of their own story. So I encourage you to watch it if you are at all curious about the school-to-prison pipeline, if you are at all curious about how our prison systems and our jailing systems target and uh, encourage the jailing of young Black and Brown boys, like it is laid out so clearly there. And so I encourage you to watch that.
1: Awesome. My, f- my just black joy is living single.
0: God damn right. It is. 90s. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I totally forgot that.
1: You know why? Oh, it's so good. It, I'm tired of people saying that living single was black friends. It wasn't.
0: It was not. It was it not.
1: It holds up better than Friends ever so much. ever did.
0: Yes, uh, Kim Fields, Queen Latifah, Queen Erica is in it.
1: Alexander.
0: I mean that Tootie see, Tootie's it. in it. Like <laughs> so good, just phenomenal. So oh good.
1: man, yes. So please, and again, like I feel like it's also such a touchstone for like. If you're like a queer person of color, like I feel like living single was like your jam. Um, at least, at least the people that I really relate to, and it's like if if we're not making like a Khadijah reference every now and then, like <laughs> yes. Oh my God, and, yes. And they were also like, they were like black women living together who all like had, like, Khadija was like an editor at a magazine. They all had, she had like this job, it's powerful. Yeah, it was. Doing in a
0: 90s kind of way. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I got my girls. you head up, what? What? <laughs> Yes. Oh, so like,
1: Yes, living single folks. Um, and of good. course, it's like, it's a sitcom from the nineties. So it's gonna have everything that you think a sitcom from the nineties is gonna have, but at the same time, like it is also like very unapologetically black. Um mm-hmm. so please, uh please watch Living Single. It is streaming on Hulu, folks. Yes. So please don't let it do that. Ugh. Um um, the other, the other one I think that everyone should watch is, um, a black lady sketch show uh-huh. and, um, astronomy club. So black lady sketch shows on HBO, um, And it is like, it is, I remember texting my friend and I was like, this is amazing. And she texted back to me. I know it's so black, isn't it? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you tell me. Um, But like, it is, it is so fun. And it is just like, again, like so specific. And the thing that I love about specifically, like, you know, comedy is all about like a set of shared values, right? So it's about like, we're laughing at something that we're all agreeing to be true. And it's a way for us to agree with each other. So um, with comedy, that's like specifically coming from like these particular, from like creators of particular um, background, a particular um, race or what have you, and those kind of cultural experiences, it's a way for them to like have their experiences be relatable to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've always appreciated like comedy that, um, is able to cross that. And again, it's such a fine line because you can, you know, you you run the risk of, like, going into, like, the minstrel show, uh, the minstrel show side of why that kind of comedy, why, why comedy is bad. But what I love about Black Lady Sketch Show and Astronomy Club is that they're all Black writers, all Black characters from, like, uniquely from like exclusively black experiences that are still funny but not because like this is a black thing like mm-hmm. this is while you know it's very much for that community and for and for that sense and for those people but it also is a way for us to relate non-black people to relate as well mm-hmm. Um, and many oftentimes I find that like you know when people talk about like family dynamics specifically I'm like oh I totally see that myself mm-hmm. in that as well so yeah totally recommend these two shows um, we've talked about black lady sketch show before we have. Um, yeah that's amazing so but yes
0: yeah um, you touched a little bit on blackish which was on my list earlier <laughs> um, and watch that weekly if you're not already um, that's. A brilliant series by
1: um kenya barris kenya mm-hmm. barris
0: thank you and um and and they've highlighted a lot of things in that series that are worth mentioning specifically their juneteenth episode
1: mm-hmm. um
0: they had an episode around i think it was their lemonade episode where they t- mm-hmm. like they've touched on a lot of really really deep and important things but also never losing sight of black joy and black family um mm-hmm. so it's it's Always a good one. Obama's watch.
1: inauguration? Oh, yeah. Oh, where, yeah. Like, oh, just, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, but again, I'm an old queen here. So <laughs> I like that I'm talking to you all like I'm 80. I'm not.
1: I was but, like, you are, <laughs> like but you are barely. Yeah.
0: Sometimes I feel like I am. And so I want to talk to you guys about um, kind of earlier iterations of a show like Blackish, were a different world which was a spinoff of the Cosby show, which is problematic for other reasons, but, um, a different world was the story of Lisa Huxtable's college journey. Mm -hmm. This was culturally important because it was the first time young black people were seeing their experience on TV. And it was the first time they were seeing a life that looks like theirs at an HBCU. They were at Skelman college. They were, um, they introduced a lot of white America to what step was and to what HBCUs were, um, and it was it was a, a, an experience that like white America would not know otherwise had a different mm-hmm. world not happened. So while um, Lisa Bonet was only on that series for like I think a season, uh, mm-hmm. the series then <laughs> continued well beyond her uh, because it was important. It was really really important. So that was. That was important to me watching that. I remember as like middle school, high school, I totally watched that. Um, also, then, girlfriends. <laughs> girlfriends. I mean, if we're talking about Tracy Ellis Ross in Blackish, we got to talk about girlfriends too, because that was then the next iteration of living single, you know? Mm
1: hmm. Which was produced by Kelsey Grammer, everybody. Girlfriends was produced on UPS. It It was produced by Kelsey Grammer.
0: I did not know that.
1: Frasier Crane produced Girlfriends. I have loved that so much. Oh my God.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an education it
0: was... for me. I didn't know that. Ooh.
1: But like again, like here he is like, just go make your show. Make <laughs> make, yeah. make, make girlfriends. Oh man. Swing girl! It, do oh, it. I'm so happy that you said girlfriends. <laughs> of
0: course. And then also what we learned later, because the cast of girlfriends reunited on an episode of Blackish recently last season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I never realized like how girlfriends disbanded very unceremoniously when the writer's strike happened. When The writer's strike was in like 2008, I think.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And it was, it was like coupled with that plus like the acquiring of UPN into the CW and the yeah. things that kind of naturally fell off from that. So mm-hmm.
0: there were a yeah. lot of things that had kind of happened in the way that Girlfriends disbanded, but it was culturally a really important show. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to talk about too is In Living Color. Jim Carrey is the first person to say that like if you're a fan of my comedy, like it's not because SNL was paying attention to me. It's because the Wayans paid attention to me. And the Wayans really shifted the conversation. They kind of started out like, you know, as a family of, you know, they obviously they are a family of comedians. Um, but it was the antidote to SNL. SNL was telling a very white story in the nineties, you know, in the early nineties. And then there was in living color that was telling a very black story. Now in living color was very problematic in terms of like early black comedy. There were a lot of like men in drag. There was a lot of like the men on film, like making fun of gay stereotypes. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of their comedy was problematic today. Um, But back then, in living color gave a voice to the black community in a way that SNL never could. Um, And, and, you know, we also got the fly girls out of in living color. And where would JLo be?
1: Where would JLo be? Where would she
0: be? We wouldn't have a Tina Landon. We wouldn't have a JLo. I mean, I
1: I was about to say JLo and I was taking a drink of water and I was like, Wendy's got this. I got it. I mean,
0: listen, I'm on it. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I got for, in terms of black joy. Um, let's move on. Yeah. You want to talk about films?
1: Um, let's do, Ooh, let's go to books. Okay. Let's do films in a little bit. Let's do books.
0: Let's go to books.
1: All right. Um, everyone should read, (laughs) everyone should read, uh, the book white rage. Um, you need to read the book White Rage. I read it um, for this book club that I'm no longer in. Um, It is by a woman named Carol Anderson, a black scholar who basically wrote this book as it's, it's subtitled The Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide. And she is a, she is a professor at Emory University and the, uh, without going into too much more, um, uh without need to go into the book too much right now. Just the 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 work cited section and all of her like things that she references is about almost as thick as the actual like um her actual like text. And is that a function of the fact that she is a woman, that she is black, that she is all of those things? Perhaps. I want you just to think about that when you look at when you get yourself um when you get yourself this book. But specifically, what it does is that it talks about the idea that, like, she sets it up as, a, as like, this is her response to um, people talking about Black rage and Black-on-Black crime and how, like, you know, and the idea of, like, the trope of the angry Black person. But really, when it comes down to a lot of, like, systemic racial issues, a lot of that stems from this idea of white rage, where, you know, for whatever reason white people are affronted by the very existence of Black people and so have thus rebelled and and created the system in that way. Um, spec- there's the specific conversation about like redlining in um, communities. Um, so I recommend it. I thought it was very, um, it was very insightful and very um, it's, it does a lot better to kind of reveal, um, that those systemic aspects of, of racism, at least from, of books and articles that I've read. So I recommend that everyone should have this. Um, the other one that I want to recommend too, and this is something that's actually being taught in schools as well, um, to children is March, which is the graphic novel series, um, about, I believe it's, uh, John Lewis, right? Representative uh, mm-hmm. John Lewis and kind of everything that's going into the organization of, um, in, into civil rights and the organization of a march. On, um, I believe it's the march on, I forget which march it is. It's been so long, but it's several volumes and it's a beautifully illustrated, beautifully written graphic novel um, that tells uh, that tells a side of history and there's like little bits and pieces the way graphic novels do that are not um, that are um, that are not like it's not central to the narrative but like it takes it, it enriches the narrative as well um, and I think it's also very important to kind of support like you know again when you're talking about genre things when you're talking about comic books like it's important to see black faces in in these black faces, black art, black writers, black experiences in these particular genre areas that are so popular uh, with white people and for white people. Mm-hmm. So nice, yeah,
0: awesome, and um, it's very the-
1: accessible for kids. Great,
0: so. yeah, which is amazing. Uh, the books that I want to talk about. Um, I have three books that I feel like are required reading, um, Mm -hmm. right now, especially if, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at this through a lens of, uh, an educator trying to, you know, kind of deep dive into the work of dismantling my own systemic racism and, um, and trying to kind of really give my students, uh, the classroom experiences that all of them deserved in their lived-in experience. And um, and so really kind of focusing on that and looking at, you know, everything through that lens. So a lot of this is about how we start the conversation. And uh, one of the books that I read very early on in this journey was So You Want to Talk About Race by mm-hmm. Ijeoma Uloa. And um, she writes a book in a way that feels personal and um uh and accessible but also like breaks it down. Every chapter is a question. So you want to talk about race. There's a chapter on like, so why can't you touch my hair? There's a chapter called, what if I don't like Al Sharpton? There's a chapter about like, what if I said the wrong thing? Uh, So a lot of this is like, okay, so you said the wrong thing. Now what do you do next? And what are the action steps you can take? And so not only does she give us a context of how these systems are in play at all times for mm-hmm. black people and for people of color, but also uh, she tells us how we can then work against the system and how we can correct our own behaviors and how we can check our privilege. Um, there's a whole chapter in there on like, what is white privilege and what is privilege in general? So I think that's a big concept for people to uh, to dismantle and to really understand and to get at the core of their own privilege. It's um, kind of, you know, not, I, I want to say it's like baby steps into it, but it's not. It's like your first steps into examining your own privilege, which is important. Um, And I think that before we start any of this work, you have to examine your own privilege. So uh, another book that I read that just blew my freaking mind was called We Want to Do More Than Survive by Bettina Love. And this was uh, an exploration of abolitionist teaching and what it means for black and brown students to really learn successfully in the classroom and to be an abolitionist teacher and applying the, the theories and the principles of abolitionists to our learning and to our teaching and um, and just radical love, but also um, resistance. And again, like black joy, but also creating home places for children to feel safe and brave and loved and taken care of. Uh, that can't happen when you have teachers who enter a room with bias um, and who enter the room with prejudice. So that whole book was really just—I feel like it fed me so much, and it gave me so much to think about as a process, and to apply to not only my life but also my teaching. Um, so that book was invaluable, and I feel like I'm going to be constantly circling back to that from here on out. Um, another really important book to look at is uh, *A People's History of the United States* by Howard Zinn, which will just blow your freaking mind, you know? Um, And he has a couple of books. There's an indigenous people's history of the United States. um,
1: There's the illustrated people's history of the United States, which is like also like a comic book as well.
0: Yeah. But it's like every story that you weren't taught in school, you know, it's like the history that there's the history that our teachers Mm -hmm. have been telling us. And then there's the real shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was interested in the real shit and it's a hard read. It's a big read to get through, but it is so worth it. Um, all right. What are some books that you read just for the joy of it?
1: Um, these, so it's, they're heavy, but they're very, like, if you want to, if you want to talk about like heavy, um, these are books that you definitely, these are books that are still you know, that that are, that are, I have read that are really good, but they're also, like, they're not, like, fun. <laughs> it's not, like, it's not a living, it's not a living single, you know what I'm saying? So,
0: <laughs> no. so I'm it's just going to go with, the, I
1: don't I don't want you to pick up a book. I don't want you to pick up Kindred by Octavia Butler and think like you're going to get living single. Um, Kindred is by Octavia Butler. She is known as the, the godmother of like Afro futurism and um, basically black people in sci-fi. Um, it's on the premise of it is that it's a woman in the seventies who by whatever circumstances is finds herself um, time traveling back to um, her ancestor's plantation in um, the antebellum south mm-hmm. and her and specifically her ancestor is a white boy like she goes back at different times in his life um the first time is uh, it happens she saves this white redheaded boy from drowning in a river and then um will spend huge chunks of time on the plantation and then come back into the seventies and then go back again at a different time. And now this has happened. And so mm. it talks, it plays with the idea of like, again, how do you deal with, how do we deal with, um, that history of, um, enslavement in the United States and how that affects everything now. Um, then you have, um, Another one I want to bring up is Americana from 2013, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, this book was, it was basically, it's her more well-known book. Chimamanda, of course, is, um, you know, referenced in Beyonce, uh, Three, <laughs> three hey. Stars Flawless. Mm-hmm. Um And it tells a story of um, kind of a love story. She
0: also gave an amazing TED Talk called The Danger of the Single Story.
1: Yes. Um, And she's written, um, you know, Why We Should All Be Feminists. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, it's very um very inspiring writer her novel of americana what it talks about is it talks about two um friends that grew up in nigeria that get separated by circumstance one going to america one going to britain until eventually coming back in uh back to nigeria Mm -hmm. and kind of how when um uh, the woman comes back to Nigeria, they think about maybe restarting their romance, but there's all this stuff that happens there. Mm. It's also being developed as a series for HBO Max starring mm. and Yango.
0: Yes.
1: So, which is going to be really great. Nice. Um, and then the last one I want to recommend is another, um, is another very long um novel that also, uh, is part, that's also partially set in Africa. It is, uh, Homegoing by Yaa And what, uh, this particular novel does is that it, it's very much along the tradition of roots, mm-hmm. Alex Haley's roots. Um, it's a mother who has two daughters, um, who basically like one goes as the bride of a British governor Mm. Uh, back to a colony, I guess, in the Caribbean, and the other one is enslaved underneath. <laughs> in, wow. And so it traces both their journeys. Um, oh, my
0: God. I'm going to read all of these books right now.
1: Yeah, so totally recommend. That's um
0: awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Great. Okay, I'm going to give you a real quick breakdown of my... Um, the books that I've read that like for fun I, I, I don't know, I don't want to say for fun but that I've read just for enjoyment but I've read them and they knocked me off my ass. Um, the first we've talked about on this podcast, we've talked about Michelle Obama's Becoming um, it is the most beautiful memoir um, and, and if you can listen to the audiobook, I highly recommend that because Michelle Obama, our forever first lady she will read it mm-hmm. to you yourself mm-hmm. and there is nothing more comforting than having Michelle Obama read to you so I really encourage that as well. But oh god, it was such a beautiful book. Uh, the next book I want to recommend is The Color Purple. The Color Purple by Alice Walker was the book that made me a reader. Um, mm-hmm. It really—it's written in diary entries, and um, it's the story of two sisters, and it's so beautiful. Many people are familiar with the movie that was made in the eighties by Steven Spielberg starring Whoopi Goldberg and all that. And a lot of people took issue with the fact that Steven Spielberg, a white man was telling this black story, Um, which is why I I don't know the movie never really did it for me, but the book, the book changed something in me. Um, And then I've like just knowing and loving this story so deeply, I then fell in love with the musical and so on and so forth. So, um, that book I've read several, several times and I highly encourage it also on audible Samira Wiley recently recorded a version of the color purple and yeah. And she's just a brilliant actress, obviously from, uh, orange is the new black and, um, handmaid's tale as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, one day when I have some time, I'm excited to hear her reading of that as well. Another book I want to um, just shine some light on is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, who is a brilliant storyteller. And his story of growing up as a biracial child in apartheid South Africa is an incredible story. Again, another brilliant audiobook because he's such a dynamic storyteller. Um, that is also being produced as a film I believe with Lupita Mm. Nyong'o playing his mother so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to keep an eye out for that and another book that I want to shine some light on was not written by a black author but it highlights a black life um called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks which was I think turned into like an HBO movie eventually but The Immortal Mm -hmm. Life of Henrietta Lacks that's correct Mm -hmm. um was written by Rebecca Skloot, who is a white woman, but very respectfully honored the heritage and um, and the family of this story. Uh, and Henrietta Lacks was a black woman who died of cancer, and they used her cells from her body without her permission to fuel every major modern medical advancement from there on out. Um, and her family... Never saw a dime of that money. So her family was living in the Deep South in poverty while her mom, their mom, like, you know, was solely responsible for every medical advancement since in terms of, like, AIDS medications, in terms of vaccines and um, it just everything. And so her cells have been famously reproduced and grown, um, all over the world and they've gone to outer space and so on and so forth. And it was just a really fascinating look at, um, this one woman's story, but also how we've taken advantage of black bodies specifically in science and Mm in medical, uh, research in the name of medical research. And so, um, that book really shifted something in my thinking. And so I wanted to kind of shine some light on that. Awesome. Also, I just want to put out there also in terms of, I mean, we are giving you a very, very small slice of books to read here, but if you are someone who's like, I don't know where to start. (laughs) I have no idea like where to start in terms of authors or playwrights or things I should be reading. Just kind of want to throw out there, like just some names and authors that you should look at. Maya Angelou, Obviously, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is like pivotal, seminal work. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates has beautiful writing. Anna Devere Smith, Alice Walker, The Obamas, all of Barack Obama's books. Please read them. Tupac Shakur wrote beautiful poetry. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston, amazing novelist. Angie Stone, Alex Haley, Tomi Adayemi, Nikki Giovanni. Please get into these books. Mm -hmm. Go. Do some research, read up on authors, and dive in and tell us about it. We want to hear your experience there. Awesome. Where are we moving next, Josephine?
1: Film!
0: Okay!
1: Ah, Let's go to film.
0: Let's do it. Tell me things.
1: Um, So, as, as people know, I... Also host a horror film podcast uh, with uh, my co-host Joshua, and it is required. Um, it is required viewing uh, for our podcast. We have decided um, that everybody needs to watch horror noir um, produced by Shutter. Um, based on the book horror noir as well. Um, and what this documentary is is that it talks specifically regarding, um, black representation in genre film genre being horror specifically. So the genre, um, but like, it goes deep into what that means as far as like when we talk about, and the idea that like black, um, black life is black horror. Um, the first horror film being birth of a nation um, where the black people are the, um, are the monster and then black people being erased from horror. So it traces the history of film as, as um, through the lens of horror films, but also specifically through a lens of black representation and, and and portrayal in film.
0: I'm glad that Um, you brought up birth of a nation just real quick, because that mm -hmm. film specifically, like shifted a whole thinking, the way a whole nation thought Mm -hmm. of Black people in this country. And one film did that. I think it was like 1915. Mm -hmm. Um, But in every, you know, look at hatred of Black bodies and everything, like so much research ties back to Birth of a Nation. Um, So we're by no means celebrating this film, but honoring it in terms of a way that like, here's this one film that had that kind of immense power mm-hmm. in how the world looks at black people horror horrific yeah. yeah
1: and i would go so far as to say that you know if you are if you want to talk at all about um if you want to just Specifically with genre film, right? Because it's like we, we, uh, the imagination is great and vast. So it's like you can imagine vampires and monsters and things, but again, like mm-hmm. you can't seem to imagine like the, you know, a black lead <laughs> in a mm-hmm. film or, or a black hero or something. So yeah. what the horror noir, the documentary discusses is that it's that development of like black people as the, Uh, as the monster to black people as this triumphant hero, ultimately ending with get out. Um, And so, yeah, I really want um, everybody to watch horror noir. I would recommend it not only if you're a horror or genre movie fan specifically, but if you are just like a movie buff in general, it will make you look at things very differently. Um, It's one of the reasons why I love um, night of the living dead uh, as as a film, because of because of like what it also spoke to at that specific time. Uh, so yeah, um, horror noir absolutely required viewing for anybody, awesome. it, and it's also free right now. Um, really? Don't know when this is coming out, but it's free right now on Shutter, uh, which is a streaming service dedicated specifically to horror films. Um, that being said, my next film on the must on the must see is Get Out. Yep. <laughs> You got to watch Get Out, um, if not only to have a very rich convers. If if anyone's ever like, what's a microaggression? Watch Get Out and then and realize that. And it also specifically talks about like um, the kind of like well-meaning white liberal racism uh, that. I think that
0: we talked about Get Out in like one of our very first episodes too.
1: I'm sure we did. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure we did. But it like mm-hmm. again, like it it's the that it's interesting to kind of talk about it from this sense of like, you know, that idea that like, you know, racism and prejudice is not just uh, about being exclusionary, but it's also about like the inclusionary racism of like, you know, Oh, because you are black, we want you in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like no other without uh, referencing anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing I watch, and I feel like I'm giving a lot of things for kids. Cause I think that's also important, but super important, um, I, yeah, um, See you tomorrow is on Netflix. We've talked about it on the show before, um, and it's a really great film. It's about about a young um, a young black girl living in New York who um, is very intelligent and ends up. Um, it turns out, you find this all out in the trailer. It turns out that someone close to her dies due to uh, police violence, and she has built a time machine. And so it's her trying to figure out how to use her time machine to reverse, um, to basically stop that from happening. Mm. Um, and I totally recommend it because I'm pretty sure that it, ta- I'm sure that it taps into that idea of like, if we only had a time machine, if we could only go back in time. And it also completely centers the experience around like black voices and, and, um, and this young, very bright black girl.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, Awesome. My required viewing in film, and it's extensive, but I'm going to start with Do the Right Thing by Spike
1: Lee.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of his earliest films. I think it was his second film in 1989. Um, And just so honest and what an honest look at uh, racial aggressions in within all cultures. Right. Every, and like uh-huh. the Italians have their own prejudice, the black people have their own prejudice and how this all kind of like comes to a head on one block in Brooklyn on one uh-huh. day, one hot summer day. And it's, it's a really masterful piece of filmmaking um, that he should have fucking won an Oscar for a million years ago, but 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Um
1: Driving Miss Daisy, right? One. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead, exactly. Uh, you know, in the same way that Green Book won. Instead Green Book. Of the Black Klansman. So yeah. Um. Anyway, not the Black Klansman. Green Book was up against another Black one of Klansman. his
1: films. No, because he Klansman. won
0: for Black Klansman, didn't he? Oh yeah, mm. you're right. We'll cut this whole argument here.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's cut this unfactual. Um, so at one Oh four note. (laughs) Okay. So do the right thing was really brilliant in its time because, um, he talks a lot about the, um, I'm trying to find my document again. There you go. Um, He said that like 25 years later, 30 years later, no black person has ever asked him why Mookie threw the garbage can through Sal's pizzeria window. Um, White people constantly ask him why Mookie threw the garbage can, but black people never ask him why. And that's, it just speaks to the truth of the black experience. And so Mm -hmm. I want to honor that. That is required viewing. If you have not seen Do the Right Thing, do it. Please watch it. It's amazing.
1: Do the right thing. Do the right thing and
0: watch Do the Right (laughs) Thing, please. Um, I also want to speak about 13th, which is a documentary on Netflix right now um, by Ava DuVernay. And it's about um, the 13th Amendment and the release of, you know, 13th Amendment abolished slavery, supposedly, uh, technically as a constitutional technicality. Um, But then, of course, you know, the United States found other, other clever, tricky ways to make sure that slavery still um, happens, specifically with Jim Crow laws and now specifically with the modern day prison systems. And so uh, it is an exploration of the 13th Amendment and the abolishment of slavery to modern day slavery in in our prisons and our privatized prison systems and, and how we are uh, still enslaving black and brown bodies to this day and how we're targeting black and brown bodies for prisons um, very much connected to kind of this, the context of, um, when they see us, but, um, it's a really timely documentary. And if you have seen it already in the past, I encourage you to watch it again. Now in this time, when we're talking about defunding the police and, and really understanding what that means, because people talk about defunding education all the time. It happens. People talk about defunding Planned Parenthood all the time, but like, God forbid we should defund the police, right? What would happen? Um, And so it's an important understanding of like why we need to defund the police and where that money is really going and what that money is doing when that money is fueled by hate. So 13th is a really important documentary. Please watch that and please rewatch that. Um, and another movie again for the young, uh, for the young adult section out there was a book and then turned into a movie was the hate you give. Um, Mm -hmm. and I put this on my list because. The book was brilliant. The movie is often not as good as the book. This movie made some different choices from the book, but cinematically such important choices. So the book and the movie are slightly different. Um, uh-huh. and- Both are equally as powerful. So, if you are looking for entry points to have these conversations about race with young people, if you have teenagers in the home, I encourage you to like read that book together, have those conversations together, watch this movie together, um, and you know, bravely kind of explore these conversations together. That's a place to start. What are your favorite black films that are? For, that are
1: not, um, that are just for fun. Um, well, I mean, you know, that are, yeah. for fun and enjoyment, um, moonlight.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Moonlight. You gotta black put in love. moonlight.
0: Yeah,
1: black gay love. Um, you gotta have that moonlight in there. Um, also because we, you know, we, uh, it, I guess it's, we put so much on, so much is put on, like, on young black men, right? And mm-hmm. so much is, in a uh, put upon them, I should say. And and I think what I love about Moonlight is that, you know, it's this it, at its very core, it's this love story. Um this decades long love story. And it's all and it and you know the entire film is great, but like at the very end, um when the, the when the adult Chiron meets uh the adult Kevin, that's uh, what that's what it does for me. Uh so please... Like,
0: uh... Feelings, yes.
1: I know, all the feelings. So many Um, feelings. So, Moonlight. Um, Also, Best Picture winner, and you should watch it. (laughs) Not La La Land. Straight up. Uh, Girls Trip, uh, I (laughs) would also recommend. I've um, never seen it. You
0: what? I know, I've never seen it. I have to, I know. I'll Um, add it to my homework.
1: Okay, yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you do want here? Just, like, you're
0: shocked and appalled. Just you you
1: really did just. For all me. the things was, that you
0: have never seen, that I feel I am shocked and appalled by, I feel like that that reaction was disproportionate. But I'll take it.
1: I mean, I mean, like I'll you know, it is it Girls Time. Trip is Girls Trip Princess Bride? No, but like, it's, no, it is not. <laughs> it is definitely not. Um, it, uh, maybe I might uh, one might argue Girls Trip might be more enjoyable than Princess Bride. Ah! You don't it's know that different. because you
0: haven't seen the Princess Bride.
1: You <laughs> As don't of know that. This, I have yet to see Princess Bride. Anyway, <laughs> l- l- all of this to say is that, I mean, we're talking again about Black Joy. And again, it was just, it's beautiful to. One, I didn't know that Essence Fest was a thing, and it's a thing. And I'm yeah. like, yes, I bl- I'm happy that this exists. I do not need to go there because it's not for me, but I am happy that this exists because I I think that this is this is great. Also, we got Jada, right? We got um we got a little Jada Pinkett Smith. We got a little Queen Latifah, um, and Tiffany they Haddish do that, right? Tiffany Haddish. It's Tiffany Haddish's breakout role. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do love, um, uh, a Regina Hall is in this one. And mm. um, there is the moment there where they do a um, kind of a throwback tribute to Set It Off, mm-hmm. um, which is I think that's the only reason why I really want you to watch this is because okay. we because of that just one little bitty thing. All right. um, but it's also a testament to, you know, the those kinds of bonds and what bonds people is um as uh as sisters and you know, again, it's it's great.
0: Good. Don't so watch it. All right. So my my love language, like my films that I watch purely for black joy, like gorgeous joy joy, are uh waiting to exhale. I mean, give me a Loretta Divine, give me a Whitney Houston, I listen, you can't tell me shit. Um that movie I love so deeply. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and Angela Bassett just lighting her goddamn car on fire. Cause fuck it. Burn the world down. Gregory Hines is in that movie. I, uh, I can't, I love it so much. Maybe I'll watch it tonight, but I love that film so much. I also love, um, love and basketball. It's mm-hmm. really good. Um, I feel like all of the Sonali movies, all of them, <laughs> All of them. I will take all of them. So Love and Basketball, Brown Sugar, The Best Man. She's in all of them, and I'm here for all of them. I love them so much. (laughs) All of them. Um, Soul Food also is a real good one. Shout out Vanessa Williams. I see you. Um,
1: Did you watch the series?
0: I did not because I'm a purist, and so I'm going to just watch the movie. That's it. But. Oh yeah, I, there's there's 80. a lot of films about in cinema, and, yeah, I love. Um,
1: I'm about to kill uh, Miss Wendy right now because I have not seen one of those films.
0: I'm gonna give that to you because in my head you're like 12 years old. Sometimes
1: <laughs> I have seen the wood.
0: I okay, I'll give you that. Okay.
1: <laughs> Thank I'll you. give you that. But was like the wood not the same thing as the best man? I mean, I cannot.
0: You go away from me right now.
1: <laughs> it oh has my God. A in it, like a...
0: I cannot with you. That is erasure. Do not erase my experience of the best man. Stop it. And there was a sequel to the best man, which I was, was say, not great. I stood <laughs> in the theaters. God damn it! In the theaters, I did. I went. I purchased a ticket to see that yeah, movie. The Listen. This the sequel is so, not as great, but Taye Davis. For me, mm.
1: for me, of those five films, which one is the most like you need to see at least this one?
0: Oh, if you had to, like, you know, my god, if you that's a difficult. To, oh my god! Um,
1: give me two then, at least these two, because I, because I, I will, I will do it this weekend. I will watch at least these two.
0: All right, I'm gonna give you Love and Basketball.
1: Okay, Omar Love Epps it. and Sonali, then.
0: <laughs> Omar Epps, and also a cameo by Miss Tyra Banks. Ah,
1: uh-huh, lovely. Okay,
0: you're welcome. And Alfred Woodard plays her mother. So there you go. <laughs> um, so I watch, Love and Basketball, watch that, and Soul Food, watch Soul Food. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that, but okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, really, I want you to watch all of them immediately, yeah. if not sooner. <laughs> All of them.
1: Okay.
0: I need you to like shut up and do your homework. All of them. Um, okay. I, <laughs> so that aside, I will watch Girls Trip. You will watch those. Um, I also want to just save some space also in this conversation for Tyler Perry. Now, while Tyler Perry films are not my jam and not a part of my brand, um, I do want to kind of honor his space in black filmmaking. And in black comedy and also in what he's done in the creation of being a self-made man and Tyler Studios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tyler Perry Studios is like historic. And, you know, we talked about that as an example of black excellence, like when the studios opened, in terms of like all of the different sound stages named after pillars of Black community in, in the entertainment industry, and um, and I just think that what he's really done for the industry is is important, and he deserves to be mentioned, even though he didn't make any of our lists.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We save space for and you, Tyler Perry.
1: And there's also plenty of people who there's plenty of artists that are coming up now that are turning work, creating work that's very critical of Tyler Perry's work um, as well. So you know that's we we can acknowledge that this was it's very um, that it's the importance of like. Importance of the work and where he is right now and what he represents to filmmaking. But at the same time, you know, there are still, there are people out there who are also being critical as we should all be critical of yeah. anything, um, as we should always be critical of things. So. Yeah.
0: Definitely. So we're almost about ready to wrap up this conversation, but I want to save a little bit of space for some podcasts that we feel you should listen to that kind of honor and elevate black art uh, and black stories and uh, some Instagram accounts that are helpful to follow as well. So with podcasts, I've recently been listening to the New York Times 1619. Mm-hmm. Um, and holy shit. That's a pretty amazing series. It's a six part series, I believe. Six part. Mm -hmm. It's a limited podcast, but um, really beautifully documenting the, the black experience starting in 1619 with the arrival of the very first slave ship in Jamestown. So that's an interesting place to start. What are some podcasts that you can recommend?
1: Um, Also recommending along the same lines of, you know, folks at the New York Times, uh, still processing by Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris, Mm -hmm. um, the culture folks that are there at um, the New York Times. Um, Jenna specifically has it's been... Jenna specifically has been in the news just because of the um, the terrible article, the op-ed that was posted in the New York Times, where it was like, you know, burn everything down, send the troops in. Um, I don't know if I don't know if you familiar no, with this, but they they made a very They made a very interesting inclusion into the op-ed that basically called for, like, you know, outright um, harm against U.S. citizens. So um, Jenna has been very vocal about that. But she's also been a voice that uh, I followed for a little bit through this podcast and also through other means as well. Um, And they talk a lot about... um, they They are basically uh, they're doing what we're doing, but they do it on a weekly basis mm-hmm. and with specifically from that cultural lens. Um mm-hmm. small doses by comedian Amanda Seals, where she has different people on. Um, and again, it's like another interview show with comedy at at the root of it. Uh, Code Switch is if you want to talk about like podcasts you should listen to as far as like for educational purposes okay. Code Switch is on NPR and they did um, in early June they released a show called uh, uh, 10 Years of Watching Black Men Die or Black mm. People Die and um, that was something that was uh, being shared widely as well so uh, those are great places to start.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. Um, in in terms of following Instagram accounts, one thing that I've started to do is um, when I am inspired by something I'm reading or Black authors or something like that, like nine times out of 10, they're on Instagram. And it's really interesting to follow Black authors on Instagram because I want to know what they're reading and I want to know what they have to say and I want to know what they're following. And so it's a good entry point into the narrative, right? Of like, where we are getting like our resources from, but also where the conversation is continuing to go once I'm finished with this book that I loved Mm -hmm. so much. Um, so there's tons of authors, mainly a lot of the authors that we just listed, uh, that are on Instagram, Bettina love and, uh, Ijoma Oloa, um, but also I follow uh Jessamine Stanley, who is uh her Instagram account is my name is Jessamine, and she does everybody yoga. So she is a full-figured woman, uh, who's I believe non-binary, polyamorous, but she um is just really open about her journey and her body and her relationship with yoga, and um she is badass as hell. Also, Lizzo's really fun to follow. Mm -hmm. on Instagram uh, and also an important voice in the conversation.
1: Uh, Yes. Um, Definitely want to also recognize, um, again, I'm a comedy person. Someone who I've been dying to see live is Jubuki Young-White, who is Mm -hmm. a, a comedian and a correspondent on The Daily Show. Um, All of his, uh, all of his Instagram stories and posts uh, at the beginning of June with specific regards to like June Justice um, has been really, um, really inspiring. Um, And he's also just, he's just a a very funny voice and one of like the kind of young queer comedians out there as well that are um, really changing things. Um, I also want to recommend people follow uh, Sonia Renee Taylor on her Instagram. The body is not an apology as not an apology and subsequently purchase the book as well. Um, she's doing, uh, she posts a lot of good things um, specifically from like fat liberation standpoint from mm-hmm. anti, anti-racism standpoint as well. Um, and uh, she's a poet and I've, I've knew about her from her poetry way before um, the work that she does now. So um, and lastly, kind of to kind of like tie it all up since we started this talking about, you know, uh, um, black theater artists and the kind of the response there. Um, the last Instagram account we, we want people to follow is Unmutiny. Um, this is a this is a movement that was started by Amber Riley, Natasha Rothwell and uh, director John Porter, uh, specifically talking about um, black folks in Hollywood. Mm hmm. And, um, getting them to talk more openly about those experiences and calling attention to, um, calling attention to those people and how they were treated.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and Amber Riley, it's been really interesting too, cause I've been following her since, not since Glee, but I think since I saw her in Dreamgirls in London mm-hmm. and, watching her come into her empowered story uh, and finding her voice in this movement has been a really exciting thing to see. And her just choosing to like no longer stay silent and just say, fuck it. Like this is mutiny. Like we have to unmute ourselves in order to do that. You know, we need to uh-huh. stop um, choosing other people's comfort over our truth. And so um, that's a really admirable account to be following. Um, I, I read something today that just kind of stuck with me and um, I just kind of want to put it out there as we wrap up this really important conversation that um, I read that if uh, you're not well read, if all you're reading is white authors, Mm -hmm. you know? So for people who are like only seeing things through one singular lens of whiteness, um, then you are doing yourself a disservice, right? So we always encourage you to kind of like find all of these artistic like entry points, right. And find all of these different books to be reading and all of these different movies to be watching. And, um,
1: decolonize your bookshelf, decolonize your feed. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, colonize it and
0: check your privilege. Are you only reading white authors? Cool. Change something about that. Are you only watching white films? Change that, you know, and challenge yourself to understand just a little bit more um yeah that's all i got to say
1: josephine ah we hope that you stuck with us
0: (laughs) yeah i know this was a big one this is a big conversation but uh an important one
1: but a very important one and again like we you know i i think i guess i'll sum up my thoughts on it it's like you know you just can't you can't be someone who is a, uh, who appreciates um, black culture, black art, and not want to, and not fight for um, black people and, mm-hmm. and, um, and their liberation. Because again, like not every, no one is free If black Mm. people aren't free, no one, all it's our liberation is tied together. And I say that as like a Pacific Islander, indigenous colonized person, knowing Mm. full well that like anti-blackness comes from settler colonialism and by extension, like I I will know that my people are not free unless all black people are free.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah. And black lives matter, black art matters and
1: black lives matter. And Black Stories
0: Matter, and uh, and we're listening. And arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. Thanks. <laughs> Please, yeah. now, because they are still policing. They're still mm-hmm. employed, and they're still doing their job. So, um, you know, we're over here exploring art and stories and trying to do our part. And uh, we appreciate your feedback and your input, and we want to hear what you guys have to say. So, please contribute to the conversation. Find us on Instagram if you know us personally. Shoot us emails, messages, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll keep putting forth our opinions and uh, we're also going to continue to lift melanated voices wherever we can. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us friends.
1: Bye. Bye.